Welcome to the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Blix. This is Trav. This is Amber. Welcome to the TriTech Games Podcast, your podcast of great RPG adventures. And if you don't like it, we'll lock you away and never let you out. This week we are talking about Bangor Main again. We had a previous segment on this, which uh, should have already dropped. We are now talking about the other part of Bangor Main, not the training part, but the part where we keep those things which should not be seen in the public that have to be put away because they're too dangerous to coexist with us. And that also includes a number of books, items, and other unnameable things that are put into the archives that are to be studied and possibly destroyed if possible. Amber, you have the name for it, which I can never pronounce. Reliquary. Thank you, Amber. What is the reliquary? What is your vision of it? When I envision the reliquary, I see something very old-fashioned in architecture, very kind of think like a cathedral, lots of stairwells, lots of secret passages, maybe kind of like Hogwarts, I guess, if you're looking for a visual that you can reference with lots of rooms with lots of different artifacts inside them, kind of sort all the artifacts out. Okay. One thing we do know from the previous incarnations is that some of the caretakers in that place are not human. They're actually robotic, or at least some form of telepresence, because a number of these items have what is referred to as a beguiling nature. John, what does that mean to you? They have a certain glamour to them that allows them to use their unholy charisma to entice you to do things like, let me out of the box. Hey, it sounds like a really good idea to open this box. Yeah. I think that's one reason why we would use a robot, assuming that we're not talking about robots that are so smart that they might as well be people. Robots only do what they've been told to do, and they only follow certain rules. So therefore, you can't just say, hey, I want you to open this box and let me out, when the robot you know, is going to go, why should I let you out? And he says, well, because you think it's a good idea. And the robot is going to be like, I don't have good ideas. I just follow my program. In fact, the, the, they wouldn't even have a conversation. I wouldn't even put semi-sentient sentient robots around some artifacts. I John. I was just kind of making yeah, I, know. I, know, I would I know. think <laughs> that the robots wouldn't even have any vocal recognition that all commands would have to be digitally put in. Right. Bingo. I know that in a lot of stories, things like glamours and charms and other type things are defeated by the use of electronic forms of surveillance. So therefore, you couldn't just pass on the glamour through the camera to the operator who might be in another location. I would chalk up the construct rules that they are immune to those type of various spells and effects that just would not affect them because 
they would need a natural nervous system type of sensorium in order to pick it up. Well, if it's a photoelectric system, yeah, they're not going to pick up illusions. They will see it and hear it for what it is. Sensorium. Yes. What? (laughs) In the case of where we have actual physical operators, guards, whatever... Uh, any idea what kind of guards those would be? Maybe technological, maybe magical golems. I would imagine that they might have a few otherworldly beings that they have mind-controlled or willingly residing there, a safe haven in turn for their willingness to be a guard. In our earlier versions, and also I think also in the present version, telepaths have the ability to shield minds. So therefore, if we had some guards that were telepathic in that area, they would be able to resist such a confusing or misleading and beguiling type uh, situations. Well, I was thinking that you could also have guards uh, wearing talismans, you know, wards against those types of things. Uh, I've seen some writings where they've used tattoos. You know, people get tattoos that are wards against things like charm or, or, or hypnotism, you know, or mesmerization or however you want to you want to call it. Okay. You could have guards that, you know, have some mental resistance training, but they're also wearing protection charms and maybe they have some tattoo wardings on them. You know, like go to the old Magneto route, they're wearing some kind of helmet that protects them. In Nick's books, they had certain devices like this, but if we have them in our storage, our magical storage, isn't it fair, therefore, then to say, hey, these things also should be getting out into the field? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. When you as the GM, because, you know, this is something that we're just, you know, talking about, there's nothing hard and fast about this. If you start putting all kinds of protections in the in the magical storage, then you're going to have to consider making those available to your field agents as well. Well, yeah, that would be based on a mission-by-mission basis. Let's say, okay, we need a special device that reads minds. Okay, well, there's one in the reliquary at Bangor, Maine. We're going to have to requisition to use it because we're going to have to let the higher-ups know we need it for this purpose. It would be well-suited for it. And then go through the necessary rigmarole to get it. And then when you're done, you put it back into the storage. It is used only for that purpose. And you'd have to rely on the faith of the good agents not to use it further because of abuse of this item. Couldn't it technically be put out in a loan, a time limit that you're permitted to use it? Well, yeah. I'll use the D20 mechanic. There's the requisition rules in D20 Modern, and you return it at the end of the mission. Obviously, if it's not back after everything's done, the Bureau will come and, out of the blue, tap you on the shoulder. Even if you're still in the middle of the mission and your time is up, I would think that there would be, as a safety measure to prevent the loss of the artifact, that there would be some sort of summoning spell on it to return it back to the reliquary whether you're done using it or not you had your time perhaps when you sign it out you have to sign a contract written in blood that is like a geese so that uh you take it out and then you sign a contract stating that you will return it you know you prick your thumb and and stamp it on there and now you're geesed that when you're done with your mission you have to bring it back like you will feel magically compelled to bring it back yeah, but you know, we're talking player characters, so, you know. <laughs> hey, John, that's easy to do. You start knocking their stats down and stuff, or, or, you know, it's like, oh, you've stopped healing. Amber brought up about a time limit. Well, then that would just incite your players to move a little quicker to get the job done. 
you know, that would get you motivated to take Harris problem and get it back to Bangor, Maine before things start going wonky. Oh, yeah, there you go. You cast a, a delayed teleport spell on it. And considering how delicate the relic is, if it's something that's supposed to be really, really super powerful, and it could create a, a dramatic influence on something natural in the world, it could cause a lot of damage. I think it would have a really short loan time limit. Whereas if it's something like a bag of holding or if it's something like read minds, I think they'd be a little more lenient on how long you're permitted to keep it on hand. If it's going to have a really strong influence, okay, then you have to be really careful. It has to be out there a very short period of time because there's always the danger that the situation that has arisen to, that the relic is required to stop has been manufactured purely for the reason of getting that relic out there for someone to grab. Oh, uh, yeah. Which would be all the more reason for us to have a, a re-summon on it, or a teleport to yeah. take it back to the reliquary, in case it does get in the hands of someone who really shouldn't have it. Yeah, this NPC, he holds on, onto this relic. He is the one that commands it. He is merely with you on the mission. That way then, he knows it's in trusted hands. His own. There's also sending an ex-team out to return the item as well. Wow, that's a bit of a, a hardcore solution to having it out too long, considering the content of ex-teams. Depends on the item. The Repo you, Squad? Yeah, the Repo Squad, yeah. If you gave him the Ark of the Covenant, yeah. You're going to be saying an ex-team that can bring that circuit back if it's not brought back in time. <laughs> yeah, Amber, I don't know if I've ever ran over the concept of an ex-team. These are like... The best of the best, paramilitary, lots of guns, lots of magic weapons, a mage, a healer. Lots of pew-pew. These are the, the creme de la creme of bureau agents who their main job is they're the hard hitters. They have two purposes. They go after the most dangerous and the most hard to resolve cases, and they go after rogue Bureau 13 agents. If that's the case, then it seems kind of petty to send them on a fetching mission. Well, it depends on the nature of this relic. Depends on the nature of the fetch. If you just lost a relic that's now going to give the Brotherhood of Darkness ultimate power, then they need to be called in. Yeah. Well, true. But again, shouldn't we have a, a teleportation spell that, hey, they may have their hands on it, but guess what? Two minutes later, poof. Well, the thing is, yeah. it depends on the item. If you got the Ark of the Covenant, you can try to teleport all you want. It ain't going to teleport. You got to go get it and bring it back by hand. Yeah. Unique items are always going to require unique solutions, guys. Right. Yeah. I think Amber has a good point. I think it's a good idea. But I also think that the agents themselves should be fearful of keeping this in their presence too long mm -hmm. for so many reasons. Oh, yeah. Main one, absolute power corrupts absolutely. They don't want to end up becoming turned by this relic. Even if it's not an evil relic, let's say it's something angelic like the Ark of the Covenant. Even the rest of us are still going to have the chance to sit there and say, okay, you know what? We've got this. Let's go after this guy we've been trying to track down for a while. That would be something that just like most agents be going, do we really have the right to use something this powerful to just wipe out who we don't like? That's why. That, that'd be my main reason to getting it back quickly, just because you don't want agents misusing it for their own good intentions or what they see as good intentions. 
But I don't think we need to think of the agents as being untrustworthy. I just think that Mm -hmm. there are so many collateral damage issues with some of the powerful uh, artifacts that they would really want to get these out of their hands and back into a nice, safe, you know, prison cell, tomb, vault, whatever you want to call it, black hole perhaps, uh, as soon as possible. And they should be played that way is what I think. Unless, of course, they really aren't that nasty. We have to kind of define this because if, it's, if they weren't nasty enough, then the agents probably are using them. They're probably out there with a team. These are things that really need to be put aside, put away, because there's something about them that causes unending problems or they're just too dangerous, that are world-ending. There's just something that means they, ha- they can't be in normal people's hands, or, and I'm referring to normal people as agents, you know, which are already abnormal if you think about them. <laughs> so I'm just saying they're a, a whole level above what we're talking about, what an agent would want to have as something helpful. Okay, let me use this. You might let an agent use something equivalent to a magic item in the DMG, but not an artifact. An artifact would be something be like, uh, no, this is locked away for a reason. I don't give a care how much you need it on this mission. You can't have the hand of Vecna. Right. Thank you, John. Yeah. But I think more specifically, we should understand that artifacts, especially as they've been described in in the latest edition of D&D, artifacts not only have great powers, they have a purpose, and they seek, actively seek that purpose. Yes. You're getting somebody with a lot of baggage when you get an item from Bangor, Maine to use. Yeah. You mentioned a couple of things that could be in there. The Ark of the Covenant, Hand of Vecna. The Mm. more I think about it, I think that there are some items that, obviously, the reliquary is going to have a lot of ancient artifacts that are magically endowed, magically altered, cursed, and whatnot. There are going to be things that maybe they can't have a teleportation summon put on them, just because there's already so much magic in them. Well, yeah, things like the Ark of the Covenant. Ark of the Covenant, Ark of the Covenant. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's just the most popular relic that those of us would think of any Christian relic. We're talking the pieces of the cross of Christ, the spear of destiny or the spear of Longinius, the the yeah. spear tip that killed Jesus when he was hanging on the cross, the, things like that. And I mean, even reliquaries like, I think it's an Istanbul, there's the hand of a saint that's encased in like this copper or brass gauntlet that's sitting under glass in Istanbul. It, I want to say it's like the hand of St. Peter or something. But something like that, even the Bureau, let's say there's a fake in Istanbul and the real one's in Bangor, Maine. Just because it's of a saint, it would have that much deific aura. A normal wizard could not just, okay, we're going to put a a resend spell on this. The deific power would short that out because it's magic of such a higher order. Right. And a lot of these items are also items that are unknown, that need to be studied. There's a lot of study that I think goes on there. I think items that we don't even know what they are, I think those would be like in a much deeper or more secluded section of the reliquary. Because if you don't even know what they are, you probably might want to just leave them alone. Yeah, you're not going to be letting Agent Smith just, yeah, we'll let you use this. Yeah, No, no, no. Most things that agents pick up on missions, it's going to be months to years before... They're out of the hands of the Black Vault R&D guys just because they're going to be wanting to 
do everything from rudimentary scans to try to reverse engineer. They're going to want to sit there and go, okay, how was this thing created? What went into it? What can it do? How can it be harmed? Because they're going to want to know everything. If they have to destroy this thing for some reason, they're going to have to know how to do it, which is going to take some reverse engineering. Now, for a mage or a psionic artificer, you're going to need to sit there and research what spells or powers were made into it. That could take time before that artifact ever sees the light of day again. As we talked about in the last podcast, you might want to take a little dip into the time-compressed area to get your research done on a more timely basis. I'm thinking of various possessed items that they've yet to figure out how to get the possessed spirit out of. There's this entire ward given over to possessed dolls, who somehow or another always seem to figure out how to escape this place. We walking around, checking things out. You look down, there's a doll standing next to you. That's when you put your phone on and call for backup. There are some cursed items that are hard to put in a box. They'll get out. That's why they have special wards that you as the GM have to think about. I think rabbit's feet are notorious for that. Real ones, anyway. And, of course, the monkey's paw. Yeah. These are artifacts that are beguiling. These are artifacts that have some, such strange powers that they literally can't fall in the hands of anybody outside of this place. These are artifacts that, by their very nature, attract attention to themselves and to the supernatural, which the Bureau is constantly trying to suppress knowledge of. Are there any other kind of artifact other than the ones that are just there for study? I would think also high-tech. My general eyeballing of the Bureau is that they are PL7, PL8 is cutting edge. The Bureau finds PL9 technology. We're going to go with the Arthur C. Clarke quote, but they're going to see that as magic, and they'll want to lock that away until they can get Ray Robertson in there. Not just magic inside, but also artifacts of a technological nature of such high level that the Bureau has no chance of reverse engineering at any time soon. There's also the concept of alt technology because, you know, you're talking about Bureau 13, anything can exist and everything does. You know, you might have from, take the concept of Hellboy in, in, in the second movie where they went down into the goblin market. Yeah, the troll market. Troll yeah. market, troll market. Okay, where it's not exactly magical, but it's also not exactly science as we observe it. You know, you might have machines that work off of some other weird prints, like a steampunk type of thing. Yeah, techno magic, yeah. Right. But it may not even be magic at all. It might Whatever the Nautilus ran off of. Yeah, sure. Right, exactly. It's just an alt science. Like maybe it taps into some uh, energy source that we have yet to detect. But some other race of beings was able to detect it. And it's not like super advanced. It's just different so where that would come into play is that things that would protect you against magic and like magic awards and stuff they wouldn't protect you against this weapon but this weapon's also not technology it's not advanced technology so it might be a wand of lightning bolts but it's not really shooting lightning it but why wouldn't that be out in the field with some agents well it might be but they might not have figured it out yet there's that kind of stuff too you know it's like we've got this thing we don't know how to work it or every time we've tried someone's gotten injured okay we're making such a big fuss that the reliquary is this big, elaborate place to store these big, important things that can do amazing and dangerous and deadly stuff. But we're kind of missing, when it all comes down to it, it's still just a storage. 
And as far as what else we can store in it, I think there's going to be a significantly large portion of the reliquary being used to store your common everyday things that are magical that people take for granted. Monkey's paws, uh, wolf teeth, uh, crow bones, Mm -hmm. rabbit's feet, and things of that sort. There are a whole bunch of frauds out there, but there are genuine articles that ultimately are not as uh, pleasant as you're led to believe. Yeah. Like the monkey's other paw. <laughs> God. What if there were some things like super rare elements that could be used to make nasty, nasty spells, and they're being stored in there not for use, but for non-use? You know, they have this unicorn horn. You know, what do we do with this? We don't do anything with it. You know, that you can use that to bring about the end of the world. Yeah. Well, it's like, well, why are you keeping it? It's like, so no one else gets it. Well, why don't you destroy it? Well, we can't destroy it. It might have another purpose. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Right. Maybe one day some alien planet pops into view and we need to destroy their world with it. Right, exactly. And the only reason you're keeping it is so no one else gets a hold of it. Yeah. You also got all those vehicles. I mean, when you talk about Area 51, nah, Area 51 is what it really is. A testing site for American R&D. No, no, get it right. It's the Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio. Get it right. But would they keep them in Bangor, Maine? Because I mean, we already do have a real Bangor, Maine facility that is under that Semtech. As we said last time, there's no reason for Semtech to go out of business. The Bangor, Maine was for the really, really important things that needed to be taken out of our time-space continuum as much as possible, or things that were really dangerous that we didn't want to have a chance of them ever escaping, compared to an actual facility that could be damaged by earthquakes or other types of things like that. So there, I think there are other facilities that some of these things are kept at. That's one reason why I was asking what kind of things would actually be in there that couldn't be anywhere else. Things that are too dangerous to leave in the regular world. Okay. All right, well then let's move on to the other area, as John put it, where we keep our unwilling guests, uh, the prison containment facility. Amber, got any thoughts on that? On the prison? Uh, On the containment facility, yeah. I think it would also be multi-layered. The further down you go, the more serious and more necessary it is for us to keep them in confinement. I think that more towards the bottom also we would have uh, more accommodating cells, I think, for non-human entities where the barriers are going to be magically reinforced instead of just steel, as it were. I think that the top level would be something more like a, a detention. You're just being detained for the time being. What do you mean? Just a building as it would be on Earth? There are going to be prison cells, but they're places that you're put in for a short period of time, more like just a holding while you're waiting to get situated. There are going to be guards, of course, so you're not going anywhere, but I think that the top layer is going to be really light on the security. Lesser security measures, yeah. So it's like it's jail rather than prison. Right, the top layer. Yeah, it's where right. you put people who didn't like the deal you offered them when you were out in the field, and so you're giving them an option of saying, "Hey, now that you've been here for three or four months, how does our deal sound now?" Yeah, yeah. I think the entire facility is within some kind of dimensional barrier or something. The spell in D and D, dimensional anchor. You're going to want that entire building to be surrounded by that because you don't want anybody teleporting in or out or phasing through 
the entire thing is surrounded by walls of force, so ethereal creatures can't get through. But unfortunately, if those measures were taken, then there would be no such thing as an escape prisoner. Oh, I don't know. You know, prisoners have nothing to do with their time except try to figure out how to get out of there. They may not be smarter than us, but they have a longer time to think through the mistakes that we make. Yeah, besides, you have to get into the prison area so often to put new ones in, which means there's a way in. And you have to feed some of them. It's not a, a completely closed environment. Before we go any further, we have to decide what the Bureau's stance on treating prisoners is. Do they exercise a level of humanity? There are vampire types where you could stake them and they don't die. They just remain in, in stasis until you cut their head off. Is that how they keep their vampires? Staked in a coffin? This is how it is. The Bureau is a part of the American government. Therefore, they would use the rules that America uses for prisoners. However, these prisoners are not normal humans. Therefore, they would have to amend the rules to facilitate this new situation. Trev, you realize that America treats its prisoners better than it treats its own school children? Well, the very first rule I would think would have to be, A, they can't escape. We have to make sure that they cannot escape through any reasonable means. The second rule, I think, would have to be that they are not an immediate danger to their guards, to their captors. And after that, we start thinking about them having rights and having privileges. Well, I mean, like, okay, for example, are we feeding them food that they like? Do they get TV? Do they get gym time? Do we bring them books? If they are sentient and well-behaved... We're not going to deprive them of things, you know, a vampire still has a human mindset. As long as we keep them fed, yeah, books, something to occupy their time. The mind has to do something, or otherwise it will go insane. That's just how the human mind works, and vampires, despite the physical limitations and powers, they're still going to want to listen to music. But you're not going to sit there and give them doilies and all. I mean, they're still going to have a rather Spartan experience because they've done something to merit being in that prison. Well, hold on now. Hold on. Because that comes to another question. When you've locked that vampire up, have you locked him up for actually doing something horrible? You could have a vampire who only eats as much as he needs to survive, but he doesn't ever kill anybody. Does he get locked up? About those who only feast on animals, refuse right. to eat human blood. There you go. I think we pretty much in the book covered the idea that a supernatural that can be made or convinced or somehow placed in some place where they can live in harmony with the world and not become a poster child for being supernatural, they're allowed to exist where they are. Yeah, they're not causing a disruption in normal life. They have to be a clear and present danger. Right. Okay, so if they're in this prison, they're a threat to society. Yes. Yeah, they're voluntary vampires, not involuntary vampires. Well, they could be involuntary vampires. If they are by their nature dangerous, then they're going to be locked up or destroyed. If they have a choice, then that's a reason to treat them with a certain amount of civility because then it's possible at some point to return them out of prison once they come to a meeting of minds with their captors. The prison may also just be holding. Say you have a person that came from... Uh, another dimension, but you must send them back. Trouble is that portal only opens up once a century. 
So you got to put them on ice, so to speak, until the portal opens up again. You can shove them on through. And- yeah, see, but that person I wouldn't put in Bangor, Maine. That's a person I would put over at Semtech. Well, it depends on, on how dangerous he is. Well, if he's dangerous, then it's a whole different story, John. Then we come down to what is the point of this facility? Let's take a vampire. Vampires are really easy to work with. It's really easy for people to um, identify with this. So I got a vampire. All right, he cannot live in harmony with his society, with with society, with his environment. So we can't leave him be. We got to put him in this prison or destroy him. Well, that's where I'm going. So we've chosen to put him in this prison rather than destroy him. Rather than to destroy him, for what reason? Are we going to rehabilitate him? Are we hoping to rehabilitate him? Is there some kind of hope that that will happen? Or are we studying him? Or are we punishing him to some degree? I mean, what what would be the point of putting him in the jail rather than, you know, staking him and chopping his head off? We could be using him as a hostage okay. for his minions. Right. Tell his minions, we're taking your boss, and as long as you toe the line, we won't cack him. Yeah. So, so sometime in the future, he may be returned to you. So just keep that in mind when you start going out and eyeing those school children who are there at the playground. So would it be fair to say that any prisoner in Bangor, Maine is not there for the, the sake of punishment. They're not doing that. I agree. Okay. Okay. I don't think they're trying to punish. I think they're trying to either uh, to contain or rehabilitate. Right. So there's hope of rehabilitation or some other like strategic reason for keeping him or possibly he's simply there for scientific study. Maybe they're keeping him because, well, we haven't seen a vampire like this before. We need to learn everything about it that we can so that if any more of these things pop up, we know what to do against them. Or perhaps they're holding him because there's some information that they're trying to get from him and he won't give it up. So they're going to hold on to him until they can try and squeeze it out of him. You know, like maybe he knows about some doomsday thing that's going to happen, you know, in, in the next couple of months. And they're holding him in there trying to squeeze that information out of him. What do you think about supernatural trustees? Hmm. I have no problem with it. For example, you take Angel, who was a vampire. He would be an example of the type of character that could be a supernatural trustee. Some of the demons from the Angel series, you know, some of them were just like regular Joes that just happened to be demons. They weren't evil in any way. Hmm. A lot of these supernatural, the best defense against them is more of their kind that are on our side. Oh yeah, fight fire with fire. Yeah, now we're getting back to the Supernatural Beings as Agents podcast that we did couple months back that could be a source of them well you know you can sit here and rot in prison or you can help us out in the field with your unique abilities and talents and skills and qualities you know and pay your debt to society even though we said we're not putting them in there for that reason yeah or you could kind of stumble into beggar made and they could be high we've been expecting you or, or maybe even the creature itself has somehow found their humanity again, or for whatever reason they want to help humanity out, and they decide, hey, look, I've been this bad dude for all these years, and honestly want to try and uh, fit in. Or maybe circumstantially, they never really embraced the darker part of their lives. Not to get too much into her, my character, Serendipity, half demon, half human. But she was raised by her human family long enough to grasp the human morals that what she should do as a demon is wrong. Those were Egyptian morals, correct? Well, over the 3,700 years, Saren has adapted to her history. I mean, she still can be, in, you know, a hedonistic B-word and P 
Pip don't deny it. Saren is. I'm I mean, not it. she enjoys. But, but she also realizes that hmm, being relatively good and helping people would be in my best interest, considering what the alternative might be. People tend to try to kill her less if she cooperates. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Another example is from the. Uh, adventure I wrote called Stone Killers. We had the original Medusa. She was making a living as an assassin because she couldn't be killed and she was very good at what she did. She had a lot of practice at it. Uh, She was invulnerable. Hmm. But originally, anyone who looked upon her turned to stone. But as time went on and people forgot about the old gods, no longer believed in the Grecian gods, then the curse that had been laid upon her faded somewhat, and she gained the ability to control whether or not she actually did that stoning aspect. So it's possible that some creatures might come in in an uncontrollable state, and either over time or because of advances in meta-knowledge, their conditions might be mitigated to the point where they could be returned at some point to society. Or like silver nitrate, yeah. Assuming, of course, they aren't a danger out of volition. You know, I just keep having pictures of monsters versus aliens in my head at this point. Now, uh, <laughs> is that through time or through practice, through use? Are you talking about her character? No, I'm just talking about in general with powers weaning, regardless of whether it's Medusa or regardless of whether it's something else. If that is a plausible option, is it through use or is it just time? Well, it depends on the reason for the power. If the power, in this case, was a curse and she caused people to get stoned, she didn't like particularly the fact that nobody could look upon her and not be stoned. It was to isolate her and to keep her away from any society. And it warped her spirit. She became pretty darn evil. You know, she says, okay, I'm a monster, fine, I'll act like a monster. But later on, it was no longer uh, an imperative. It was longer a, a fait accompli every time she looked at somebody. Then it was worthwhile trying to learn how to control it, if that was possible. Or, you know, figure out, you know, what time of the month is it bad for me to be out in public? Can I get by with just a veil now? where they can't see me completely, is is heavy makeup. Can I join a rock band and wear face paint and and it'll be okay? So we've got possible monsters as jailers. We still have the robots that we talked about and the telepresence. The the idea that there might be a time to go in, that you you might have to go into these areas. They weren't just locked away forever. I like that idea that nobody was getting locked away literally forever. I remember one particular game that I played. Anytime we wanted to go to this particular area where, for some reason, the GM said that this vampire could not cross steel. And no matter how many times I tried to explain it, he would not listen. But he always insisted that we take a shower in holy water before we stepped in. And that was our protection. Okay. In his campaign, it worked. Okay, I'm with that. I had a guy with mainline uh, holy water before you would go hunt vampires. <laughs> there are gold treatments where people get injections of gold, not cure, but treat certain kinds of arthritis. I'm sure there's probably a silver injection. Well, I mean, considering the silver itself is pretty inert, I am talking about metallic silver. But the salts are, unfortunately, salts are not so benign. I know that. 
I agree. I mean, you don't want what's is it silver acetate or all those things. Those are highly, highly poisonous. Or like silver nitrate, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, silver nitrate. There might be some forms that you could, you know, like I say, a, a very fine injection of silver in your blood. And Hey, aluminum sounds like a good idea. Let's do that. <laughs> yeah. So silver is to werewolves, is, is the bane to werewolves because it's supposedly the metal of the moon because it has a silvery color. You know, the moon is like a silvery color. That, I mean, that's where that all comes from. Well, it's also considered to be a holy metal and werewolves are cursed. That's true. Gold has always been equated to the metal of the sun. Gold and the sun, they just share this when it comes to ritualistic magic. And Gold is always the metal of the sun. And I always thought, why aren't vampires affected by gold? The fiction is so saturated with vampire stories that I would never even consider writing a vampire story. But in a different time, away from this nastiness, maybe, maybe in 30 years I'll write a story about vampires where gold actually affects them much the way silver does werewolves. But in Bureau 13, there's no reason why you couldn't do something like that because, again, Bureau 13, anything and everything can go. So what kind of protections, what kind of containments would we be using against all these different supernatural creatures and alien robots, ghosts, and possibly energy beings? For magical creatures and magical items, you actually would be using magic circles of protection. In fact, I'd probably wager that uh, Robinson has figured out a way to print them out in large format so you don't have to worry about trying to draw them accurately. Hey, I want to steal from 13 Ghosts because I thought while that wasn't the greatest movie, it had some really awesome ideas. But I like the glass cells with the runes written on them that were wards that contained the ghosts. And the operators, you know, the people who would operate the prison would wear glasses that could see ghosts. I thought that was the best part of that movie. Mm -hmm. I, I agree. Mm, okay. Another thing you also have to keep in mind is, true to story, salt is a very good repellent for paranormal, for mm -hmm. ghosts and spirits. So you don't even necessarily have to have some big elaborate device to contain a ghost. You can just line their cell in salt. They can't get out. Listeners, you might want to refer back to our Baines episode that Bruce, John, and I did with Rich December a year ago. I, I forget what number episode it is, but... The Baines episode would be a really good list on things that you would want to use to help contain the prisoners that your PCs hold in Bangor, Maine. And belief is really important when it comes to these kinds of protections because it may be that, for example, you mentioned Amber Salt. If the guards really believe that salt will stop a demon from escaping, it might very well work. While someone who doesn't believe in salt might not be effective for that kind of a guard. So don't forget to bring that kind of aspect into your Bangor main as well. That is true. Plus, you know, you got your containment fields and, and whatever banes that, you know, you observe for your supernatural creatures, of course, is what they're going to be employing. You try to contain the creature and for whatever reason... They get out. You know, they are able to mesmerize a guard or power shuts down. You know, whatever reason, they're, they're able to get out. I'm thinking that at the end of their corridor or whatever, you have your extreme resolution device. These things, you can't let them out. If they should break containment, it's all out. Anything goes. So, you know, holy water sprinklers in the hallways door jams with wolf's brain spray or silver nitrate spray and 
there should be specific bane launchers designed yeah. to stop them in their tracks if there's such a bane exists. Once they've hit this point, once they encounter one of these, it's it's not to detain them or to slow them down or to recontain them at any point. It's to destroy them. Yep. Yeah. You are not playing games anymore. Once you start climbing the fence, the guy in the tower can shoot you. Right. Yep. So the other containments would be there's the uh, deep freeze for all the various things that need to be keep frozen, like a certain blob. And let's face it, fire works against almost everything. Not everything, but almost everything. Good hallway filled with flamethrowers. Plasma. Plasma, yeah, plasma, right. That's easier to generate than napalm. Or, or you know, things that supernatural creatures always seem to be prone to, things like acid, you know, things you wouldn't normally think of. I mean, how would extreme radiation affect, you know, some of these things? One of the things that I don't think was really moved into the new version of Bureau 13, but we had it as a supplement in the uh, 1992 version, alternate reality sets, where we said that there are bubbles of reality where the rules are different. If you're a creature that exists in such a bubble, then it may be that some of these things don't even exist for you. I mean, they exist all around you, but when they go inside and actually try to touch you, they disappear because they don't exist in your reality which is why some vampires, you fire bullets at them, they don't even get bullet holes. The bullets just disappear because bullets didn't exist when they were in existence. Or they just simply, they, they can't be physically harmed, so the bullets just disappear. Whatever. You know, th this sort of thing happens, that some types of damage just simply don't even touch certain creatures. Yeah. And some just ignore them. If you're going against Godzilla, you're not going to do much to them, no matter what you do to them. <laughs> religion, religious beliefs, or even lack of religion, just faith in general. Like like you said, if, if a guard truly believes that the salt will stop a demon, it should stop the demon. For a guard that doesn't, it may not work. How would that play into effect when shifts, when the guard well. shifts? If I was the person in charge of guards, I'd make sure that people who believe are the ones going to that place where it's important. If yeah. you know, if if Joe calls in sick, sorry Tony, you gotta pull a double shift. That's just the way it is. You can't be swapping out your protections every eight hours. Other religions are more effective towards certain things than others. Oh, absolutely. I know that the Chinese and the Japanese religions have a lot of banes and, uh, and also wards against uh, spirits, even more so than Christianity does. Therefore, they might be better using those kinds of wards and protections might be better to use against spirits than stationing priests in some holy water. Yeah, I remember Blix pointed out earlier that the guards may have these special tattoos. Well, uh, being magical means they wear out. So, yeah, you get tattooed, and they basically burn off as you go along, as things happen. And eventually you have to get them renewed, being re-tattooed for those, with those certain protections. Let's say you have a golem, and we're talking the traditional Hebrew one. Congratulations, your entire guard for that particular wing are all Jewish because they know the myth of Mut and Emut on the forehead. Oh, well, more than that, they have to be Kabbalists. Yeah, they would have to be trained in that specific thing. Yeah. Let's say you have um, a ghost contained or some ethereal creature. Your guards would have ghost touch bullets, as in the 
uh, weapon special quality in the DMG. They just lock and load, and these bullets can affect ethereal creatures. If you got ghost bullets, why aren't you issuing them to the people on the field? They captured one, yeah. and they want to keep it. They want to have this uh, ghost there for research, find out more about it. Well, there's still the chance that this ghost may try to escape despite your best efforts. You're going to want to, and I'm sure that they probably have various wings or corridors with various types of creatures. Over here, we've got ghosts. Over here, we've got vampires. Over here, we got the lycanthropes. And those specific corridors and cell blocks would have various protections set up in the wall. Oh, you have ghosts? Fine. Auto cannon comes out of the ceiling with ghost touch bullets. Vampire? Fine. Ultraviolet radiation floods, or a sunlight spell floods the uh, corridor where if that vampire steps out of his cell, boom, he gets burned. Things like that. You just have partitioned by type. Some ghosts are tied to specific places, so containment for them is fairly easy. You dig up the place and put it in Bangor, Maine. Unless it's a castle or a big building, yeah, you can move the house to Bangor, Maine. <laughs> or you could just find their bones. Ghosts are not stored in Bangor, Maine unless they're really special. Because most of them are there because they're haunt they're hunting for a reason, and if you can find what the reason is, you can just make let them go off and end their go, quest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go yeah. up or go down, whichever way they need to go. Right, but <laughs> it really comes down to how much work the GM wants to do. Because I mean, it can be fun to think up all kinds of elaborate uh, defenses, you know, to keep these guests in their cells. Or, however, they're going to use the least amount of effort and try to use methods that can work across a yeah. broad spectrum of supernatural. It's really hard to maintain, you know, uh, a thousand different the bane launchers of, of different things. Yeah. When you start doing this, unless you're really trying to create this gigantic thousand level dungeon kind of thing and you're really, you know, rocking to the idea of doing it, Probably most of the things are going to try to use very simple solutions, you know, simple wards, actual physical barriers that the monsters simply just can't get out of, physical things like guards with banes or robots or, as we said, sometimes their own kind that just simply say, look, you know, if you want to get out, you got to go through me and I'm ready for you. I'm just as tough as you are. Simple locks on the door and be like, haha, try and solve that. They're expecting something big and elaborate. Right. No, no, that's a bluff too easily called, Pip. I'd be just like... <laughs> when you do build your doors, you have telepaths out there, you have telekinetics out there, and people who can use magic to move things. Right. If you got a really involved lock, but all you're using are springs to hold the bolts in place, they move the bolts back and open the door up. They didn't bother with the lock. <laughs> well, I'm not saying that there's not going to be some unique qualities to these cells. I'm just simply saying that if possible, you're going to try to restrain things using the simplest methods versus coming up with very elaborate grim tooth trap type devices to <laughs> stop these supernatural and whatever from escaping. Wow. <laughs> And also because at some point the agents may have to go in there and do something and you don't want to kill them just trying to get into the place. <laughs> oh no, security is going to be tight for even the bureau agents getting in because they don't want a chance of any of these things getting out. So they're going to sit there and, okay, I need to go and talk to this prisoner about this case. Okay, you're going to jump through some hoops to get in there because we want to make sure nothing gets out. 
And it may take them 15 minutes of various scans and whatnot to make sure, okay, there's nothing on you that this thing can use against you. Go through this whole checklist of checks and balances to make sure the agent's not going to inadvertently give this guy an out. And then they can go in. So, yeah, that would only be fair. Thinking also, what you have in the Banger base, uh, either Banger Main or Banger Pocket, are also magical things that may actually used to belong to agents, but, you know, they're, they're no longer with us anymore. Like familiars. The, the mage dies, but his familiar cat's still there. And trouble is, he's a familiar, which means he probably can do magic himself. You just can't leave him out there. So I can imagine that there's probably a feral cat population in Bangor, Maine that you wouldn't believe. Uh, so, well, see, no, familiars have above average intelligence for their type. Yeah, and but she's got, she's got a really nice silky coat. <laughs> well, that's fine, but I mean, this familiar has above human intelligence it has abilities above and be like a cat a, a cat a feline familiar can yeah. i have it sure <laughs> i am not bringing any dominion jokes right, right. now Pip. <laughs> i am the crazy cat lady um that cat has been magically bonded and enhanced by the arcane caster and if it dies yeah there's a bit of that bond lost. Well, I was always under the impression that a familiar dies when its its contract holder dies. Well, it depends on the rules. It depends what rule system you're using. It may not. Yeah. 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 It's possible that a familiar may wait until somebody inherits the power that was in the person that it was bonded to. And at that point, then it becomes bonded to the new practitioner. Yeah. Or if not, as I said, you wouldn't have a feral cat this cat is an intelligent cat. It may not talk, but it's still going to be smarter and more intuitive and be just like, well, cat plus be the best term I could think. Or owl plus or crow plus. or Yeah, yeah. it would be an enhanced version of, of its race due to the magical bond that it had with its now late human practitioner companion. Familiars, they can be anything. It's up to the GM and the player to decide. I had a girlfriend who had played a mage and she had an albino tiger as her familiar. When she found out how dangerous it was to have that cat walking around, she started building all kinds of uh, armor for the cat. I started referring to it as Battle Cat from the He-Man and the Masters of the Universe uh, cartoon because this, this cat was decked out big time. Can we talk for a few minutes about how these prisoners that we've got in this cell, how it was decided that they would go in there and who decide whether they go in there or not and how long they go in there and how they get free? You know, the jurisprudence uh, of the supernatural world. Can we, you know, touch on that just a little bit? There is the matter of precedent. Now, in our American law, obviously, we drew our American laws from, well, what this country was started from, the British legal codes. Bureau 13 would merely extrapolate on the regular American legal code to take into account the supernatural, magic, psionic beings, time travelers, dimensional travelers, extraterrestrials, what have you. It would be extrapolation of the laws that we normally use. If there is this creature that is sucking the life out of homeless people, well, technically you're harming them, that's at the very least, battery or attempted murder. Wait a minute, but it's but it's homeless people. Still, they're people. I'm just kidding. I'm just yeah, kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's <laughs> just mess with you. But I would see that 
And I think this was mentioned somewhere that there is a court, because if not, then you're having the agents as judge and jury. I admit that a lot of bureau agents have to act on their own behalf, on the spur of the moment. They may end up having to say, okay, we need to lock this creature away. It's been killing homeless people, and we just can't have it out here anymore. They're the ones that are going to have to sit there and say, okay, we need to take this to Bangor, Maine. They'll probably clear it with the people in Bangor, Maine and explain the situation and say, okay, it's killed these homeless people. We have to get it out of circulation or it's going to keep doing it. I think that's one reason why it's a problem with the legal system. The legal system is in place more for the creatures that can return to society that might need to be punished in some way, but could be put into a facility where they could be in prison for a while as a punishment. Uh, I think Bangor, Maine, it's the black pit of Calcutta. If you get sent there, unless you prove yourself not to be a danger, you're not getting out. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's going to be you're there for the long haul. Yeah. Yeah. It's Getmo. Yeah. Here's a question for you, Blix, and the rest of you, and that is, is there any creature that Bangor, Maine would not keep? High-level demon lords, and this is something harkening back to my helping Amber create serendipity. Her demon father, Arubre? Yeah, Arubre. Arubre. A high-level demon lord, Banger Main's going, do we really want a storm of demons and devils trying to break in to get this guy out? Demon lords are like gods to their lower demons. Oh, yeah, and are you going to want a horde of demons trying to bust in Banger, Maine and causing havoc on Earth otherwise to try to find a way in to get this guy? Constantly. And also, with the people in Banger, Maine, do they really have the power to keep this guy locked up? Right. Because most demon lords, and as I said, I'm going by the D20 parlance here, folks. That's my system of choice. They're epic-level beings. The Bureau, if they're going to hold an epic-level being... They can do it, but probably not for very long. They're going to be going, okay, we need to hold them to find out what we can do, you know, how we can find a more permanent solution. This is temporary. I think angels would also be in that category. Well, of course, you know, it's flip side of the coin. No, 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 no. And he says that in the Bureau 13 D100 threats at various type of monsters. God, if he's coming, you just might want to take cover. Yeah. <laughs> right. There you go, Trav. You know, you said God. Let's say you could trap a lesser God, for example. Um, Hermes? Hermes. Or I was thinking something like um, a Glory from like the Angel series. Emos. Yeah, right. There you go. Or, or, or one of the Cthulhu gods, one of the Elder Gods or something like that. Not that you could contain one of them, but let's say you could. To what end? Their followers would come in droves. Got them. Now what? <laughs> Yeah, right. You know, to what end? And let's say they don't get to Bangor, Maine. They're still going to be causing a lot of trouble to draw the Bureau out to say, okay, they got our God, fine. We're going to draw them out because they got to come from somewhere. All we got to do is track where they appear from. That's probably where our boss, our God, is going to be. Now that I mentioned Cthulhu Mythos, I think some of the other things you, you might not want to try and hold, you might want to just try and destroy if you can. Some of the Cthulhu... You got the Elder Gods, but you also have the... Um, the Fishmen? Well, you got the Deep Ones, but I was thinking, not not the Elder Gods, but the what's the other category they have? The Great Ones or whatever. Honestly, you really don't want to hold any of them because they're on a whole different mindset, plane of existence type of thinking. You're not going to question them. You're not going to get anything out of them. 
studying them is not really going to get you anywhere. They are as alien to our universe as, as anything. So I would think you would either try to dispel them, send them back where they came from, or destroy them if you can. Other than that... That's assuming they, we can. That's right. Well, that's what I'm saying. They're just... They're like something that is too dangerous to hang on to. If we can't kill them, and if we don't know where to send them back from once they came, what other alternative do we have but to contain them? Well, yeah, if you can contain them. If you can't kill them, can you, can you contain them? Well, there's one other option to banish them in some way. Send them forward in time. Send them backward in time. Send them to the other end of the universe. Throw them into the, into the sun. Right. We have space capability. The Bureau does. Hey, thumb off the fringe path. There you go. Yeah, I'm saying that the fringe worthy will be of help if they can. So there are might be some things that literally, as you say, are too dangerous and simply cannot be contained. Yeah, the trouble is you can't really throw them off the pass unless, unless, of course, they're fringe-worthy. Uh, yeah. Well, it depends. If it's an object and it's cursed, then yes, you can. Uh, surprise! You can take them yeah. off the fringe path. Yeah, and make sure you leave the Bureau 13 node first before you try throwing off the fringe path. Because as long as you're on the Bureau 13 node, that thing's fully operational. If they're magical in nature and the next node over doesn't have any magic, oh, yeah. they might be neutralized at that point. You might not have to destroy it then. You don't even need to go all the way off to the next node. Once you get to the alternate platform or hang a left or a right, you're on a pathway that's not part of a node. As soon as you go through that portal, you've got that demon in a locket. You throw that locket out far enough, <clears throat> gone. Unless that next node is magical, in which case the pathway between them is also magical. Oh, okay. Or God help you, he becomes more powerful. Hmm. It's like, yeah. well, I was really powerful in that world, but now I'm... Hey, there, there's always a risk, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Strike me down and I'll become even more powerful than you could imagine. <laughs> oh, boy. Being that we're talking about this topic, we have to assume that... What we're talking about, what we're dealing with, is stuff that can be dealt with. We're not talking about stuff that can't be, because otherwise it doesn't go into this place. Unless, of course, this is the only place you could put it for a very short period of time before you, you know, as they say, boot it into the sun or something else like that. <laughs> right. We're busy building the giant rocket that you're going to launch from, from the Bangramain pocket universe into the sun, because it's the only way to get rid of it. It worked for Gamera. No, wait a second. It didn't work for Gamera. He came back. It doesn't work for any of those guys. They always come back. Any superhero from any DC or Marvel universe, they, they, they just don't die. No, no, there is the matter of DC dead and Marvel dead. Marvel dead means you come back. DC dead means you are dead dead. There's a, I, I'm a comic book geek. They have that differentiation. Uh, Superman! Uh. Yeah. I don't know. Well, then we just call them Marvel Dead, even though they're DC. You know, I, I've seen what's happened since, you know, uh, Crisis on Infinite Worlds, you know. <laughs> There's been a lot of hedging. Yeah. But that's enough comic book geekery. All right, anything else with this? No, I would just say that with containment, it's going to be as per the particular type of creature, magical, you're going to be just using Banes or... Counter spells, as I said, if it's ethereal, you put up walls of force. If it's a dimensional traveler, you put a dimensional anchor in its uh, cell where it radiates a, a nullifying field for any type of dimensional travel. The faith, you would have guards that 
all are of the same faith who believe that within it reinforces the fact that they prisoner cannot stay. An energy being either force fields or even a Faraday cage might work. Yeah. And for your average alien, sometimes a good old-fashioned cell works for an alien. Yeah. And sometimes it has to be an airtight cell, considering that some of them emit pheromones that have unpleasant effects. Yeah. Hey, I got one for you. There's something we didn't mention. What if you did something where you had an implant in it? So let's say you had something like um, you had a vampire or whatever, and you, you had an implant in his neck. Hey, it's fine. You know, you escape. You get 30 feet past the door, and it'll blow your head off. Oh, you mean like a cortex bomb type thing? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that's always an option, too. Vampire, I actually have it on his chest, and you, you can see the wooden stake in place waiting to go off. Well, I was thinking, I mean, you cut a vampire's head off. That's one way for sure to kill a vampire. I was just thinking, you know, you put plant something in, his, in the base of his neck, and you're like, this thing will blow your head clean off. Uh, usually vampires, when you try cybernetics with them from the conventions that I've seen, they just shunt the cybernetic. It'd have to be a magical thing, but yeah, I see what Br- uh, Blix is getting at. Well, I mean, you could put some kind of ward on it or something so that his vampiric healing can't affect it. Yeah. If you're going to go that route, you could just simply put a collar around their necks with a explosive behind a layer of their uh, most lethal bane. Right. So it doesn't have to be an explosion. Maybe you could just be embedding their bane into their throats or whatever, and that would take them out. We've seen a lot of movies about people doing that. You know, that was the way to to keep them in line was to give them these kind of collars and stuff. So it it always made the jailers look really, really bad. If you want to keep a vampire from being able to beguile somebody, instead of that, you have a little collar that instead of exploding, it does every 30 seconds, emits a loud loud noise that distracts everybody. That's where you start getting into you know, the whole question of are you torturing this poor thing? Shouldn't you just kill them if you're just going to keep doing that? Yeah. But I, I like the idea. I think that Bangormain is going to go with the most minimalistic fat, a method they have of controlling these creatures if they have to keep them for extended periods of time. And maybe a collar you know, with a Bane launcher built into it is the most humane, efficient method of being able to grow. Because we can't have a thousand guards in Bangormain, I don't think. I mean, uh, the Bureau is not that big. Hey, you know, we've got mages, right? Yeah. Right. Couldn't we just place some kind of curse on them so that if you leave here, you know, bad stuff will happen to you? Is the Bureau going to engage in black magic? Because that's what curses are. I don't know. Do they? Would they? Well, the policy generally is in the Bureau that casting black magic is going to get you a quick trick to bang or main. Ha. Right, right. <laughs> so Let us say that we have these aforementioned trustees. And have one of the trustees do it. They still cast black magic, but they are using it for a purpose which, well, keeps them from getting vaporized, i.e. keeping their fellow dark supernatural beings in line. That's a real situational ethical kind of thing. I think it would be a lot of fun to discuss more. And I would really like it if our listeners would get on our boards and and raise that very question and have some discussion amongst themselves about it. Yeah, exactly. Like, is a curse on an evil creature not black magic? Is it acceptable? If you're cursing them that they have to be good, is it still black magic? Could you consider that a a different type of blessing? Well, that wouldn't be a curse. That would be a geas. All right, well, there you go. Hey. Yeah. The problem with having your resident bad guy do the curse, he may not do a curse. He may do something else. Right. Well, hey, <laughs> you know, John, you get a point there. A, a geese, you know, because a geese compels 
whatever you cast it on to do something, but they have to agree to it. Right, and for our listeners, that's spelled G-E-A-S. Yeah, it's a, as the D&D spell, Gius Quest. Not a waterborne foul. <laughs> right. It's like a contract, like Rumpelstiltskin's contract was a geese. You agree to the terms of the contract, and then you are magically held to that contract. You know, these creatures, they might say, look, we'll put you in a minimum security area if you sign this geese, if you accept this geese. So what that means is is that they have to sign this magical contract and have this geese placed upon them, and they agree that they won't leave the prison. So if they try to escape, the geese will compel them and physically force them to return to their prison cells. Like they will be you – know, like when a, when a vampire hypnotizes somebody or mesmerizes somebody to do something for them, they will literally be mesmerized to go and com- and com- you know comply with the geese. Or depending on the geese or how they're done, you know, they would you know they would suffer severe pain anytime they try to do anything against their contract that they've just made. That's always an option. It's kind of geese are kind of curses in a way, but they're kind of not because you agree to them. Keep in mind that the bureau has a lot of friends that have very specific views on the use of magic or compulsion on other beings and by doing these things you might actually gain the disfavor of these beings when you when the bureau in fact relies on their favor. Right. And some people believe this is one of the reasons for the massacre of 77 was the bureau adoption of magic caused them to fall out of favor with some forces like the Christian god. Right. This needs to stop and that might have been one of the reasons for the cause of the massacre of 77. Yeah. So there are Unintended consequences when you do these types of things, and that makes the game even better. Yep. And I think that's fine to to put that into an adventure and and try it out and see where it goes, and then get back and let us know because we can use that to improve our uh, next uh, edition of Bureau Thirteen. If you guys start commenting, we haven't had many comments lately, but we will do shows. We'll do an we'll do an entire show on comments. Yes, we've done it before. Yes. And we generally tend to rush it. If we get a couple comments that we can actually do a show on, we'll do them right away, edit them right away, and put them up right away. So it's very timely. Oh, and we're not going to talk about R&D at all this winter? We said that some of the items are there for study. So that is part of R&D. I, th- I think John means the actual artificers' departments of Magic and Psy in Bangerman. Is that actually going to be there? I mean, the main reason we talked earlier about it being there was they could take advantage of the time compression area for the purposes of making them and then jumping out. If we're going to talk about real magical factories, then I guess that is another area other than what we've talked about before we really haven't covered. Yeah, I think Ray Robinson probably worked out of the Semtech building. He only goes to the uh, pocket world. When he needs to. So Bangor, Maine is, in addition to being the prime training base for Bureau 13, is also a reliquary and a containment facility for things that cannot be out in the regular world. How big or small you want each of these things to be kind of depends on your campaign and how populated you think the world is with the supernatural at this point. Uh, and how long the Bureau has been actually containing beings. Uh, or if your world is kind of the quick and the dead, where if a creature can't be kept safe, they get eliminated immediately, well then I suspect that the containment facility is primarily going to be for short-term or for study purposes primarily. 
It's up to you as the GM to decide what's actually in there and how big it is and what's going to be stored in the reliquary. But whatever it is, just keep in mind that whatever's there isn't going to stay there any longer than it has to. So watch out and be ready. And, and remember that those new brand new agents might find themselves with their first mission halfway through their training. And we'll have more for you about Bureau 13 and Fringeworthy and all the other TriTac products. But that's going to have to be another week. So until then, this is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there. So go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game, hate the players. This is Amber. It's all fun and games until the DM rolls a one. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at Tri-Tech Games. And if you don't, We'll be having your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.